Hello everyone and Merry Christmas! Welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. In this special Christmas episode, I'd like to read to you a part of the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew. Particularly, I'd like to tell you about the tale of two kings. And yes, you heard that right. Not the three kings, but the two. Not the three kings who delivered the gifts to Jesus, who were, by the way, magi, and they weren't just three. We'll talk more about that later. But the two kings who we encounter in the Christmas story. These two kings represent two completely different value systems, two completely different ways of viewing the world, two completely different ways of living in the world. And those two kings are King Herod and King Jesus. And the question essentially that I'd like to pose to you today is, which one is your king? All that and more coming right up. What we're going to do today is I'll be reading to you from the Gospel of Matthew, as in the passage mismo that we mentioned earlier. But before we get there, I'd like to set the stage a little bit. I'd like to give you some context, some background, so that we could appreciate and understand this better. My goal, my hope, of course, is to lead us to reflect. To ponder more on what Jesus has done for us, especially here as expressed in the Christmas story. What Jesus has done for us in his incarnation, in his being with us. This is a timeless, timeless truth, a timeless message that it's just, it never runs out. And so I hope that in the time that we'll be spending together, we, we grow to love this even more, love Jesus even more as we come to know him. So yeah, let's begin with the first king, King Herod. First, to understand King Herod better, it will be helpful for us to have a little bit of a history lesson first. And this starts years before Jesus was even born, okay? And in the time that we call the Maccabean Revolt. You see, in Catholic Bibles, there are these two books that you'll find, First and Second Maccabees, which tell us about the Maccabean Revolt. What happened there? So the Greeks, under the leadership of Alexander the Great, you might know him from your history class, has expanded their territory. Alexander has been going from one place to another, conquering lands, conquering nations, and Greekifying them, in a sense. Okay, They were Hellenizing them. That's the technical term for it. And Alexander's influence grew. That is why he's called the Great, because he was a great conqueror during his time. However, as we may know, Alexander died. And before he died, he wasn't able to properly set his house in order, so to speak. And so what happened after him, after he died, was that his generals started taking power. Okay, what's left of his influence, they started splitting it up and they started going against each other. And one particular group that came after Alexander were called the Seleucids. And the Seleucids, during this time, were led by Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Not as popular as Alexander, but he is a very central figure in one of these stories, in the story of the Maccabean Revolt. He is 
the enemy, the villain of this story. So Antiochus Epiphanes is someone who has ransacked Jerusalem, has laid waste to the temple and defiled it. And a group of people, a group of revolters led by this guy named Mattathias, he was a Jew, he, they revolted against Antiochus Epiphanes and his family led this strike and it was bloody and it was a messy, it was crazy. A lot of things happened one after another. There's so much that we could draw from this and learn from this. I recommend that you read through First and Second Maccabees and you, you could research beyond that also in our history, which is very, very rich. But for the sake of brevity, uh, the short version of it is that they succeeded. They they were able to defeat Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. They were able to they were able to grab back their own land, and this started what is called the Hasmonean dynasty. And Mattathias during this time was already dead, and his family was leading the Hasmonean dynasty, where when the Jews were kind of on their own, of course Rome was there okay rome was was right around the corner they were as we know during the time of jesus rome was in charge rome was in power but during the hasmonean dynasty the jews were were at least to a certain degree autonomous they were to a certain degree they they, they had their own land they had their own people but you know the hasmonean dynasty was not really super effective because they in the same way that the generals who came after Alexander started fighting against each other, the brothers within the Hasmonean dynasty started fighting against each other also. In fact, they started murdering each other. It, it wasn't It wasn't good. It, it caused a lot of turmoil. It, it caused a lot of problems. And it, it became chaotic to the extent, to the point that Rome, Rome stepped in. Because someone in the Hasmonean dynasty started declaring himself as king, Rome said, no, you can't do that. They started stepping in and they started handling things. In fact, they, they executed one of, the, one of the last leaders of this dynasty because, well, they, they were doing something that they weren't supposed to do, at least in the eyes of Rome. Rome was trying to, was trying to restore peace and remind everyone who's in charge. And as Rome started influencing the Jews even more, there was this one guy. Okay, here we are introduced to Herod. Who is Herod? Herod is someone who has been pulling favor from Rome even before the fall of the Hasmonean dynasty. He was married to a Hasmonean princess. He was an Edomite. He wasn't a Jew, but he would follow in the customs of the Jews. And he is someone who has been politicking. He is someone who has been sneaking his way in. Okay, He was a politician in a sense, but he was someone who was vicious, someone who was willing to do anything to gain power. And because of this, because he seemed to have the right kind of credibility, at least in the eyes of Rome, he was declared to be... Uh, the leader, he was called, in fact, Rome, okay? The leaders of Rome called him Herod the Great, King of the Jews. But one thing that is helpful for us to understand Herod even better is that he could be considered a great king, but he was a terrible guy. As in, he had lots of building projects. He was able to construct ports and fortresses, which were helpful in de defending the kingdom and helping trade. He was able to restore the Jerusalem temple, which during this time has been ransacked, has been destroyed several times already. He did 
everything in his power, okay, to secure the throne. And here's where the bad part comes in. Even to kill anyone and everyone who might take it from him. Some of the people that we know he killed were the previous royal family, his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, even his wife, the Hasmonean princess. He ended up executing her and three of his eldest sons just because he wanted to keep the power to himself. In fact, Caesar Augustus, the leader of Rome, had this saying that it is better to be Herod's pig rather than his son. So imagine this crazy, murderous, egomaniacal king. He was someone who was willing to take and use and abuse others so that he could pursue what would be beneficial for himself. So imagine, this is where we enter into the gospel story, into Matthew's account. This is where the story of the quote-unquote three kings come in. And I mentioned a while ago, they, were, they weren't just three, okay? There were three gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so that is part of the reason why we depict them as three kings. But there were more than just three. And they weren't really referred to as kings. Well, they were wealthy, which is probably part of the reason why we think of them as kings, but really they were magi. They were astrologers from the East. They were wealthy enough to travel and follow stars. They probably had a big group joining with them. Their gifts were expensive. Mary and Joseph will later use this in the story when they had to run away from Herod. And so this is what happens, okay? So these magi, what they do is they approach Herod. And then what happens, okay? They ask him, hello, where is the new king, the king of the Jews? The exact same title, right, that is used for Herod by the Romans. Where is the king of the Jews? Now, Herod was disturbed, okay? And when Herod was disturbed, everyone else was disturbed because, again, this villainous, vicious man, okay? If he gets upset, everybody else is gonna suffer, okay? That is, and that is what happens Mismo, that is what happens. Because he finds out about this, he tries to pretend that he cares about this king and that he wants to pay homage to him also. But what he ends up doing is he starts murdering kids. He starts murdering the children in hopes of trying to capture this, this prophesied king, in hopes of trying to get him so that the new king of the Jews would not stand in the way of him, of him maintaining his power they didn't he did not like the competition that is what was happening and so later on in the passage if you read forward you'll see what he did what he did is he started murdering little boys in the hope of capturing this one who was prophesied this one who is to come the king of the jews he didn't like the competition and well historians would say that he probably murdered around 25 to 50 young boys during this time just so he could protect his power just so he could put himself first just so he could try to calm himself because he was threatened this is the way of herod and so we follow the magi and the magi finds their way to jesus and when they encountered Jesus, they started giving their gifts. And after they gave their gifts, they started heading a different way. And that's the thing, you know? When you encounter Jesus, you don't 
leave the same. Something changes. And with our very real encounters with the Lord, something within us changes. Now, it doesn't always happen that instantly, but it paves the way for transformation. It paves the way for newness in our lives. This is what happens when we encounter Jesus. And Jesus represents something completely different. Because unlike Herod, Jesus was born as as in this in this very vulnerable form he was an infant the king of the universe the god the creator of heaven and earth decided to be born as an infant in a manger could you imagine that how humble could you be and we know that Jesus' ways is different from, from the ways of the rulers of this world. In fact, that's what he teaches, that the greatest among you shall be the greatest servant. They will not lord it over others as the Gentiles do. No, he will serve. He was the kind of guy who, he, he was considered the teacher of his disciples, of his followers. And during the Last Supper, what, what did he do? What he did was he started washing their feet one by one. He took off his robes, he tied a cloth around his waist, and then he started going to each one of them, serving them, loving them. This is the kind of king that we have. This is the kind of king that we see in Jesus. It's the complete opposite of King Herod. King Herod was willing to use everyone for his own sake. Jesus was willing to give himself for the sake of everyone else. This is the clash of two kingdoms, the two kings that are represented in the story, King Herod and King Jesus. And again, the question is, which one do we worship? Which one do we live by? Which kingdom do we live by? Do we live by the rule of King Herod where we take and use and abuse? Or do we live by the rule of King Jesus who was willing to give all? This is something that we see in our culture. You know, we don't, of course, we don't murder each other as much anymore, but you know what the world teaches is it, it teaches you to stop caring. You no, know, stop caring about what anyone else thinks. This is these are things that we hear as if they're motivational, diba. Right? Stop caring about what everyone else thinks. Always put yourself first. What you do doesn't matter as long as it makes you happy. As long as it doesn't hurt people. But that's the problem. We don't know if what we do hurts people, at least not all the time. The culture constantly pushes us to think of ourselves, to put ourselves first. And here's the problem. Here's the ironic thing. When all we think of is ourselves, we become more unfulfilled. You know, have you ever gotten to that point where you wanted something, you worked hard for something, and maybe you even trampled on others just to get that one thing, only to get there, to achieve that, and to realize and to think to yourself, I thought this would make me happy. Think about it. The most unhappy people in the world are those who are selfish. And the problem with this kind of thinking, okay, is that it guises itself as, as something that is good, as something that is virtuous. You know, when people talk about self-love, I don't think self-love is a bad thing. The problem with self-love is that we confuse self-love for self-centeredness, which is a different thing altogether. The goal of self-love is so that we could be able to give more of ourselves, so that we don't keep ourselves from receiving, because receiving is also an act of love. But the problem is that there is a difference between receiving and taking. Taking is not about love. Receiving is. And giving is the expression of that 
kind of full love. This is the difference between the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of Jesus, the rule of Herod and the rule of Jesus. Are we about using and taking others for our own good or are we about the giving of our very selves for the good of others? This is the story of Christmas. This is the story of the incarnation. This is the story of the crucifixion. And this is the story of the resurrection. One last thing before we read the passage together and come into prayer. King of the Jews. That is the title given to Herod by the Romans. Herod the Great, King of the Jews. It's the same title that is given to Jesus by the Magi. When they came to Herod looking for the one, he referred to them, they referred to him as the king of the Jews. You know the only other time this title is used in the Gospel of Matthew? It's in Matthew chapter 27. Let me read it to you. It says, After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there, a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The only other time this line, this title is used, was when Jesus gave himself for us on the cross. The King we serve is a King who gives all. And one way we can respond to that is by learning how to trust in him. Because it is easier to give, to forgive, and to receive when we know how to trust. And with that, I'd like to read to you our passage for today. And then let's end this with a prayer. This is from Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 until Matthew chapter 2 verse 12. It says, This is how Jesus Christ came to be born. His mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. But before they came to live together, she was found to be with the child through the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a man of honor and wanting to spare her publicity, decided to divorce her informally. He had made up his mind to do this when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because she has conceived what is in her by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you must name him Jesus, because he is the one who is to save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill the words spoken by the Lord through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, a name which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had told him to do. He took his wife to his home, and though he had not had intercourse with her, she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the infant king of the Jews? they asked. We saw his star as it rose, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was perturbed. And so was the whole of Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and all the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. At Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, For this is what the prophet wrote, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means 
least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men to see him privately. He asked them the exact date on which the star had appeared and sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and find out all about the child, he said. And when you have found him, let me know so that I too may go and do him homage. Having listened to what the king had to say, they set out. And there in front of them was the star they had seen rising. It went forward and halted over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they did him homage. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and returned to their own country by a different way. Father, we approach you today, and we love you. We thank you for sending your Son to be with us, to carry our weight, to carry our cross with us. We trust, Father, that you have our best interests at heart. We trust, Father, that you are always there. We trust, Father, that this way of living in this world that you have created is a way that is fruitful, is a way that pays off, is a way that is helpful for us to become the kind of people that you have always called us to be, that you have created us to be. And so, Father, as we celebrate Christmas with our families, with our friends, as we live our lives from day to day, remind us constantly, show us how you can be trusted. <laughs> Transform our hearts so that we could be aligned with your will, so that we could obey and follow you. We know, Father, that true fulfillment, true happiness comes in you, from you. And as we, as we listen to your word, as we obey your will, as we live in your ways, help us to become more like your son, to be able to love fully, truly. We know that you have so much more in store for us, and so we trust in you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. That is it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. Merry Christmas once again. By the way, I'll be taking a break from the podcast for the holiday season. And so let's stay in touch. There is the link to the Facebook group in the description of this episode. You may join us there if you want to stay in touch, if you want to be updated with what's what. We have discussions and questions there. It's literally called Not-So-Secular Discussions and Questions. And that is a great, great way for us to be connected with each other. I'd like to hear from you too. So let's continue staying connected with each other. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And I'll see you soon. Bye.